0: Hey there, welcome to this bonus episode of Rethinking Wellness. I'm Christy, and this is an audio version of my biweekly Q&A newsletter. My answer to the first question is available to everyone about period pain, and there's a bonus one for paid subscribers about endometriosis. If you want to hear the full episode, subscribe at rethinkingwellness.substack.com. Paid subscribers also get great perks like early access to every episode, bonus episodes with our guests, commenting privileges and subscriber-only threads where you can connect with other listeners, bonus Q&As like this one, which are usually just available in written form, but I've started trying to add more audio versions too, and lots more. Just go to rethinkingwellness.substack.com to sign up. That's rethinkingwellness.substack.com, and if you're already a paid subscriber, thank you so much for your support. It really means the world and helps me keep doing what I'm doing. Before I jump into answering the questions, just a reminder that these answers are for informational and educational purposes only and aren't a substitute for medical or mental health advice. Although I am a registered dietitian, I'm not your specific dietitian, unless you happen to be one of my my one-on-one clients, in which case, hi, but even then, uh, this podcast is not a session. So with that, let's go to the first question. It's from someone named Christelle who writes, Hi Christy, I have horrible period pain and I got a recommendation to eat an anti-inflammatory diet. Is it a real thing? Does certain food really cause inflammation in the body? And also, do I really need to cut out gluten and dairy for my cramps to be less intense? Thank you so much for your job. So thanks for this question, Christelle. And I'm so sorry you're dealing with this level of pain. I know it's incredibly tempting when you have chronic conditions or a chronic condition like this to try to fix it with food, quote unquote, especially when nothing else feels like it's working. Unfortunately, in this and so many other cases, there's no good evidence to support using a quote unquote anti-inflammatory diet or cutting out gluten and dairy. In fact, doing those things could potentially make the situation worse. So a 2019 systematic review of observational studies from 1990 to early 2018 found that in general, there's no link between period pain or dysmenorrhea in medical jargon and most foods, though there is a link between weight loss dieting and meal skipping and period pain. Those things tend to increase the risk. In terms of gluten, the review found no association between painful periods and the consumption of pasta, rice, white bread, cookies, pastries, or grains, all of which typically contain gluten, though none of the studies specifically address gluten per se. But elsewhere, there's no research to support cutting gluten for general period pain either. One study does look at the effects of gluten for endometriosis pain, which I'll unpack in the answer to the bonus question. And by the way, all the studies that I reference here are going to be linked in the full show notes, which are available on Substack. So I will put um, a link to that in the the podcast show notes that you can click through and, and get the full show notes with the study links. There's also no good evidence for cutting out dairy to manage period pain. So one observational study from 1997 found that although milk consumption didn't differ between people with dysmenorrhea and those without the condition, the painful period group did have a slightly higher cheese intake. But the difference was only 0.5 servings per week, and the researchers didn't actually collect information on portion size. They just asked people to estimate how often they consumed certain foods, which is, of course, wildly imprecise, as most food frequency questionnaires used in nutrition research are. In fact, all of the other dairy-related observational studies included in the 2019 systematic review found that people who consume several servings of dairy a day are actually less likely to have painful periods than those who consume more. And of course, it's not possible for observational studies to tell us whether dairy actually has a protective effect. We'd need randomized controlled trials or RCTs for that because observational studies can only tell us about correlation and not causation. But if dairy were a risk factor for period pain, we'd expect to see a strong correlation in the data, and we just don't. Speaking of RCTs, there are a handful of them examining diets for period pain, but none on gluten, dairy, or quote-unquote anti-inflammatory diets. So Christelle, that means that whoever recommended those diets to you wasn't basing that advice on solid evidence because, again, RCTs are the only form of research that can really tell us whether human beings should or should not pursue a particular uh, clinical approach. And to answer your broader question, no, there really isn't very good evidence for anti-inflammatory diets in general, as I discussed uh, in a piece that I wrote a few months ago, um, which we'll link to in the show notes as well. So RCTs, specifically those that are placebo-controlled and double-blind or double-masked, where neither the participants nor the researchers know who's getting the treatment and who's getting the placebo, are really the gold standard in biomedical research because they're the only type of study that can possibly determine if there's a cause-and-effect relationship between treatments and outcomes. You really need a placebo control to be able to do that. Yet even randomized controlled trials can have their limitations and should be examined critically, especially in nutrition science, where placebo effects are rampant and also hard to control for. Take this one randomized controlled trial, which was published in 2020 in a low-impact journal, which is the first clue that it's probably not the most solid evidence. The study included 30 or so women who were assigned to eat dried figs during their period, another 30-ish who were assigned to take cinnamon mixed in warm water, and finally a placebo group that was assigned to take empty capsules. The study found that during the three menstrual cycles of the intervention, people in the dried fig group had lower pain severity and a shorter pain duration by about seven to eight minutes than people in the cinnamon and placebo groups. And the cinnamon group also had lower pain scores than those in the placebo group. But I don't think that's necessarily because of any special properties of dried figs or cinnamon, for that matter. Instead, it might just have been because the placebo didn't fool people, right? Empty capsules feel suspiciously light, which is why most placebo studies use capsules filled with an inert ingredient like sugar or starch. And when people figure out that they're getting a placebo, it makes it impossible to know whether the differences between the groups are due to the interventions themselves or simply to the fact that some participants believe they're getting an effective treatment and others don't. The placebo effect is really powerful, especially when it comes to pain. And so it can't be discounted and it has to be controlled for in studies related to pain. There are only a few other RCTs in this area, and most don't find any benefit to diets for period pain. The only other one I found that did is a small 2000 study conducted by doctors with the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, which is a nonprofit advocacy group that promotes a vegan diet and an end to animal research. The study was published before conflict of interest statements were widespread in reputable scientific journals, but it probably would and should carry one of those conflict of interest statements if it were published today due to the clear pro-vegan agenda of the researchers. Perhaps unsurprisingly, given those conflicts, the study found that women who were asked to go on a low-fat vegan diet had about one less day of menstrual pain per month than those same women did on their usual diet plus a placebo pill, which they billed as a supplement. The researchers also used some unusual interpretations of statistical significance to claim that pain intensity was lower for people on the vegan diet. So for data nerds out there, the researchers deemed those intensity scores significant at P equals 0.05 instead of the customary P is less than 0.05, even though they used P is less than 0.05 in the rest of the paper. And the choice to reframe borderline but technically non-significant results as significant is interesting, to say the least. There's also this, quote, when asked to guess, 25 out of 33 participants believed the supplement to be a placebo, end quote. So again, the the inert pill didn't fool people, right? Which means the so-called placebo group didn't really experience a placebo effect. And yet the intervention group did because any diet that makes you feel like you're doing something for your health inevitably produces a placebo effect, And so that makes it difficult to know whether the diet had any benefits over and above a placebo. So in short, I would take the advice to modify your diet for period pain with a huge grain of salt or maybe cinnamon. And given the potential links between painful periods and dieting, meal skipping, and perhaps other forms of disordered eating, going on a diet could even be counterproductive. Thanks so much to Christelle for that great question and to all the free subscribers for listening. Paid subscribers can now stick around for the bonus Q&A, and everyone can ask their own questions for a chance to have them answered in an upcoming newsletter or podcast by going to christyharrison.com questions. That's christyharrison.com questions. The next question comes from Maria, who writes, Hi, Christy. I've been following your Food Psych podcast for about three years now, and it has been an amazingly useful resource for me in recovering from anorexia and disordered eating. I have a long history of disordered eating and IBS, or irritable bowel syndrome. I started experiencing IBS symptoms at age 14, and I'm now 30, and I have just been diagnosed with endometriosis. As you can imagine, I've tried many things to help manage my bowel symptoms, cutting out gluten and dairy, going on food elimination diets, and more. Nothing has really eradicated my symptoms, although cutting out dairy does seem to have helped. Since going through the process of being diagnosed for endometriosis and since having surgery to treat it, I've done a lot of research on how to manage endometriosis through diet. I was quite shocked to find that a lot of the books and online materials are riddled with diet culture. There are lots of recommendations to do a month-long food elimination diet, to give up alcohol, to follow a low FODMAP diet, etc. I don't really know where to start, and I'm quite worried about slipping back into anorexic behaviors if I follow one of those diets. Do you have any advice when it comes to endometriosis and diet? It's a minefield. You've been listening to a free preview of this episode. To hear the rest and get tons more bonus content, become a paid subscriber to Rethinking Wellness by going to rethinkingwellness.substack.com. That's rethinkingwellness.substack.com.